started writing less, fewer hours. And I told myself, instead of trying to go, how many chapters can I do today? How many? I'm not a machine, but I'm kind of a machine yeah. in that I show up and I do my three to five pages a day and I don't wait for the muse because there isn't any muse to wait for. I'm it. And when I show up, the muse has shown up. Now it's time to kick the muse in the ass and wait, make them get to work. I don't believe in that <laughs> waiting for inspiration shit. You know, they're, they're, you're your own inspiration. And what you'll find on those days you feel really inspired and you put it down. And on those days you don't feel inspired and you force yourself to work, it reads the same. You either yeah. get better or you don't. And you get better. When you first start, you get better in like, like four to six months increments. Later on, it's a little slower. But my deal is I get up seven days a week. Once in a while, I'll take a, a day off or decide I'll take a week off uh, between a project. But even when I, most time when I finish the project, I get up the next morning and go right to work. Even if it's on a short story or a poem or whatever, because I like doing it. I'm, I'm not someone who likes having written, although I, I like that as well, but I like writing. Folks, before we start this episode, if you could do one thing, would you please hit that subscribe button? It really helps us out. We'll kick those tires and start that perpetually fake fire. It's time to camp. Gas prices, once again, are cost prohibitive, forcing us to camp virtually. Today, we welcome the deadliest author we've ever had. Joe Lansdale is a best-selling author, and we don't know what's greater, the number of punches and kicks he's doled out or the number of awards he's received for writing. He is a master of the black belt and the black ink, a member of the Literary Hall of Fame of the great state of Texas. Please welcome the one and hopefully the only Joe Lansdale to the campfire. Hello, thank you for having me. Hey, thank you, man. So I I have to say, I mean, are there is there a subgroup of, of authors who are martial arts masters that you get together with, or is that sort of a lonely activity in the <laughs> writing community? Well, there are a lot of uh, authors who practice martial arts. I may be one of the only ones that's been doing it 59 years. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's probably others out there, but I've been doing it since I was 11. Oh, wow. What got you into martial arts? My, I, I started to say my father, and that's true, but also Batman comics. You know, Batman <laughs> studied all kinds of things, and one of those things that he studied was martial arts, jujitsu and boxing and judo and karate, and those were listed in some of the comics, and I wanted to be like Batman. And uh, I always felt like that I owe my career to some extent to, to Batman because it gave me a lot of curiosity. And I started reading a lot of different things, practicing a lot of different martial arts. My father was a boxer and wrestler, and he had done some of that in uh, the 1930s in the Great Depression. He would go to fairs, ride, catch trains and ride to fairs and box and wrestle. And he was like 42 when I was born. My mother was maybe 38. So they were already you know, older folks, my brother and I are 17 years apart, but he taught me the basics of self-defense and some boxing and stuff. And that led me to studying uh, judo at the YMCA. And then that led to others. And so I, I guess Batman and my father. There you go. And the, and the type you practice is called, uh, I, I, you just told me before, and I already forgot the pronunciation of it. So um, Chuan. And where does that originate from? Is there a philosophy? I, I did Taekwondo for years um, growing up, and that was at least my, the expression I was taught was it was, it was self-defense. It was, it was always used to, 
deter and not and then i did krav for a couple years which was entirely different <laughs> and uh much more violent uh, i've done but, that too oh yeah that's it's it's fun um what um what is the sort of mo and the you know philosophy of your particular martial art well uh it's hard to put that kind of thing in a nutshell but what i will say is i studied a lot of different martial arts for many many years and uh the martial arts art I created, Xin Chuan Martial Science and Family System, was uh, inducted into the United States Martial Arts Hall of Fame and, and um, got a lot of recognition from the International Martial Arts Hall of Fame. So I felt brave enough to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do my own thing. And, and I did. And I, it, about 1996 was when it was founded. And uh, it's a mixture of a number of martial arts. We use a Chinese name for the simple reason that I think they were the greatest martial arts laboratory. They were not the only one, but I think the greatest one. But I studied everything from uh, judo to kempo to Thai boxing to taekwondo. I have ranks in several things, Aikido, Daitaru. Uh, man, it goes uh, on and on. And, and then I've had a, a bit of training and a lot of other stuff. And then I've had a school since... 94 or 90, 92 or 94, I'd have to stop and, and look. Um, and so I've been teaching a long time, been studying a long time because you never quit studying. And, you know, I have the title grandmaster, but I, that, I never think of that as any more than just uh, a, a designation that I've been doing it a while and that I'm still practicing and I'm 70 and I still teach private lessons and I still surprise young people that no, come in <laughs> and yeah, but my, my take is that it is, uh, you know, you start out wanting it for self-defense, which is, you know, not a bad reason, especially growing up, growing up in Gladewater, Texas, when I did in the 1950s, 60s, you know, early 70s. And uh, then you start finding that there's other things to it, because if you're really studying it, and I don't mean strip mall twice a week on, uh, you know, Tuesday and Thursday, uh, I mean serious dedication to martial arts, which, you know, my body will tell you how serious it's been, uh, <laughs> but I have really found that there's a lot more to it than just self-defense and just, uh, you, you know, sometimes an offense is a defense and sometimes you, you try to avoid anything that's unnecessary, but it, you know, it's, it's a, it's not a mixed martial art. It's a blended martial art. And there's a difference. Mixed is like a fruit salad salad, you know, blended is more like you put everything in the blender and it's actually blended. So that you're not doing a judo technique and a karate technique, you're doing the techniques that blend one into the other in such a way that it's not as distinguishable as one art. It's a it becomes one art, but it becomes Shinchuan because I borrowed from others and found things that work. And and we work in such a way too that we try to work with the person because people have different abilities and different inclinations. So if you're not a great kicker, I'm not going to emphasize high kicks, which we don't emphasize anyway much in self-defense. Ours is very self-defense oriented, but the idea is to find some way to apply it to, to your life and to look at things uh, like, uh, you know, economy of motion. That's not only important in martial arts, it's important, important in writing. It's important in your day-to-day -day life. And, it, and being able to give and take is a lot of what martial arts is about, even if you're sparring and combat was when you're training with the, with, you know, friends, so to speak, you're not there to put their eye out, but you're there to learn how to do it, but you're actually trading. Sometimes it's you that's feeling the pain, not necessarily the injury, but the pain. And sometimes it's the other way around. 
And in life, that's kind of what learning about give and take, you know, and I'm not saying that studying martial arts makes everybody good because it, it damn sure doesn't. Some, it might be tennis for some people. It might be baseball. It, it could be all kinds of things. It could be baseball card collecting, but it's a dedication to something and trying to understand what it means beyond just the physical expression. Hmm. Wow. I, uh, that's so cool. I, now the, and I guess more importantly, do your, does your, uh, family refer to you as the grandmaster at home? You know, is that a title that carries Absolutely over? Not. Okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> There's another my grandmaster. My students actually refer to me, my, 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 my students actually refer to me as professor. I love and that. that's, that's more of a Japanese translation term, you know, and, but, but it, Chinchuan though, it's, it's a mixed art. We use, like I said, the Chinese name, uh, because a, I think it sounds cool. It means spirit fist. Hmm. And, uh, it, it also, um, which is something our techniques are, you know, kind of, uh, oriented in such a way that they're harder to see and so on and so on. But it's also, like I said, it's a, uh, kind of a tribute to, uh, the greatest martial arts laboratory. I think. That's awesome. All right. Well, geez, I, we could go martial arts all day, but, um, that's, it's not many writers yeah. you get to talk about that with, uh, let's, I know you get asked this a lot, obviously, but I, I'm just curious, let's go back to the beginning. Like, did you know you were going to be a writer? Did you always have these stories in you or did that, was there a moment where things changed and then you became a writer? I think, well, you know, always know when I came out of the womb, I probably wasn't too alert to anything, but by the time maybe. I was about four years old, <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, who knows? Uh, but by the time I was four years old, I was trying to write and draw comic books. And I, I wasn't thinking of, oh, this is my career, because I didn't know what a career really was, you know, what that yeah. meant. But it meant that I was driven to tell stories. I, I also grew up with storytellers. My father couldn't read or write, and, but he was a great storyteller. And that had been passed on. He was born in 1909, my, father, my mother in 1914, I think that's right. And they had a different experience than I'd had. My father wasn't far off the old West. I always think it's weird to realize that when my father was born in 1909, Mark Twain was alive. He died no, the next wow. year. And it's even more important to realize that Wyatt Earp was alive. And he died, I think, 1914. I could be off a little bit. Bat Masterson, Buffalo Bill, 1917, I believe. So these people were all alive when my father was, you know, when he was born and when he was a, a, a child. And uh, I, I think that's that's remarkable. And he had relatives who had fought in the Civil War, you know, and he had relatives who had done all of those Western things that, you know, we grew up on that were made into the mythology of the West. And then he became a uh, adult during the Great Depression. That's when he and my mother got married. And that's he worked all kinds of jobs, uh, you know, including, like I said, boxing and wrestling for money uh, by catching uh, boxcars and trains and being dropped off in towns where they had fairs and they paid you to box and wrestle. And what happened is that was the invention of professional wrestling. You know, they were doing it just to see who won originally. And then they got, you know, then we could really make a game out of this, a sport out of it. Put some costumes and on so, them and some steroids and yeah, man, you know. That's right. <laughs> but my dad, by the time they were doing that, he was already uh, doing other things. And, and, and my, my mother gave him an old car. And I never can remember if it's a Model T or a Model A. I get those mixed up. But she gave him one and said, take this apart, put it back together until you can do it blindfolded because he always wanted to be a mechanic and he did and he became a mechanic and that's what he did till he retired. Wow. 
That's great. So your dad got to see the real tombstone with, I mean, Kurt Russell was awesome, but I imagine, you know, real, real <laughs> well, they were at least alive. I don't know. He didn't get to see them, but, but, wow. uh, you know, my dad knew Bonnie and Clyde, you know, he'd met Bonnie and Clyde a couple of times and, oh um, wow wow that is crazy yeah, i remember we had a gift from from one of bonnie's relatives from my baby gift i, I don't remember you know who it was because i didn't you know i was a kid and then later on they'd think to ask it didn't mean anything to me i didn't know anything about it oh, and then uh, we know, I, I, I grew up in a interesting time you know i what's really cool to think about is that i heard rock and roll for the very first time rockabilly for the very first time that became rock and roll and, uh, you know, of course, the blues was out there, but I remember that because I was just the right age, four or five, when rock and roll, rockabilly, became the thing with Elvis and Johnny and Cash and uh, so on and so on. And my brother was 17 years older, and he tried to record at Sun Records. He didn't have any real luck, but he met Elvis because he married a girl in Memphis who graduated high school with Elvis. So she introduced him to Elvis and they just knew each other in passing. But I just think that's kind of a weird, cool connection. And uh, my daughter, um, producer on some of her music was John Carter Cash, Johnny's son. Yeah. So it's how it's weird. It's almost like a, a, a circle because there I was listening on the radio, that early stuff, and they were playing live right down the road from me, but I didn't know that on the radio in Gladewater, Texas with Tom Perryman, who was the uh, uh, DJ. And he gave a lot of those people their first start. Elvis in Gladewater, Texas, he came there all the time. You know, you'd hear about the Louisiana Hayride and you hear about Sun Records, but the next important place was Gladewater. And Johnny Cash wrote, I Walk the Line in Gladewater. And- uh, Oh, no way. Elvis oh. Presley, yeah, according to, according to Johnny. And then Elvis, uh, you know, he stayed in people's homes there. There's, there's a museum there, which, I'm included in, and then Elvis is really included in, <laughs> and it has uh, photographs of him, you know, in people's homes or different uh, uh, things of that nature, and he stayed at the little motel there, and they still have the card where he signed in, and it's now an apartment complex, oh. and and it, it was a motel, and it had a sign out front that said air-conditioned inside, and that really meant something back then, because it was definitely air-conditioned outside if the wind was blowing. <laughs> But inside, you needed some kind and of indoor plumbing. Yeah, and indoor yeah. plumbing too. And that and that uh, that old radio station is now a recording studio. In fact, my daughter recorded two of her songs there just because she wanted to stand where Elvis had stood and sing. Oh, that's so cool! I love man. I just love. I'd love to be able to go. I was like, hello, I'm Johnny Cash. Ding 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 ding. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. That's oh, what, the Ring and of they Fire. Have a, Right. They have a Jerry Lee Lewis signature there. He had sat, written on the soundboard. Ooh, the killer. Authenticated, and they have it on the wall where he... <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Man, what a fun cocktail to sort of percolate while you're, uh, you're this writer, is right. this aspiring writer. That's, that makes, well, it right. makes sense. That's so cool. Yeah, you know, it makes sense. And, and there was all kinds of things that came together just right for me. My father being a great storyteller, even though he was not educated, my mother was a great reader. She read everything and uh, she passed that interest on to me, comic books, and then television was in its infancy. You know, it, it was new, uh, relatively, it was 48, I guess is when it came in, I was born in 51. So by the middle fifties, we got our, I think we got our first television about then. And I was watching those old, Tarzan movies with, with Johnny Weismuller and, and, you know, and others too. 
but I watched the old Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers serials and, you know, oh, yeah. old uh, universal uh, horror films and old science fiction films and all of that stuff came together in a, in a kind of rumble tumble, so to speak, with me discovering short fiction and longer fiction in books that my mother handed to me. Wow. So, oh gosh, somebody, I know the word start here. Um, the, the beginnings of your writing, so you loved comic books, et cetera, and you had this really eclectic uh, influences, uh, these really eclectic influences around you. Right. Was there a moment when you said, okay, this is actually something I'm going to, I'm going to make this like, I love doing this and this is going to be my, my life's work. Yeah. I, 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 what happened is that of course I was just drawn to telling stories. And like I told you, I didn't know what a career was. All I wanted to do. Oh, this is great. I want to, I want to write comic books and draw. The only problem was I had uh, no artistic talent. I hmm. always say as a joke that when I was four, I was a genius artist. By the time I was six, I was the same. And by the time I was 12, I had probably gone back a little bit. So I never really was any good at that side of it, but I was good at writing and stories got easier for me. When I was 11, I think I was about 11. I think that's right. I read Edgar Rice Burroughs. And when I read him, I had to be a writer. There was just something perfect for my age and that book. It's, you know, those things have dated a lot now, but he's still my sentimental favorite writer. And uh, my mother was a painter too. And I got a lot from that. She painted and I loved the imagery and, and movies. And, and it was, it was the, it was the perfect storm, you know? So I'd love and to ask. I was 11 when I said I had to do it. You asked okay. me to, when I felt I was, that was it. That's when I decided for sure. So I'm going to assume, I'm going to assume that everyone can improve their writing, but do you think to make it as a professional writer work is enough or do you have to have some gift of internal gab or some inner monologue that helps you uh, write this stuff. Is this something that anyone can do or is it uh, sort of, you know, it's different for everybody? I, well, some of the books I read, I get the impression that anybody can do them. <laughs> but, but, but the, um, I see you know, it from the, my work. The, <laughs> yeah. There's a uniqueness that's different. And I guess that's talent. There's, you can learn to structure a story and put it together and you can learn to, write sentences that are that are readable perhaps grammatically correct and everything just right but honestly for me the the writers that have impacted me i think have something already they have some sort of need mm. to communicate they have some sort of need for those stories to be read for those stories to be seen if we're talking about film or even painting or what have you and i always felt that i had like an inner demon you know, my, my friend, Artis Mayhar used to say it was like a devil was behind me with a whip. <laughs> and uh, there's a certain truth to that because I was driven and I, because I just, I just couldn't stop having all these stories, you know, and, and, and then yet I had this real life where I was, you know, I did martial arts, but I, I worked in, uh, as I got older, I worked for uh, the garbage and street department in uh, Gladewater during the summers, because that's all you could do as a young man, 16, they give you so many hours a day. And then I went to the aluminum chair factory and then I did the mobile home factory briefly because they fired me because I was so bad at it. Um, <laughs> I did bouncing, I was a martial artist and I, I, I'd, I'd get an occasional job, you know, bouncing when I got a little older. And I, I um, um, helped manage a, a, a band a little bit, but. I worked in the rose fields with my wife. My wife and I worked in the rose fields. We hauled hay. We had a, a, a self-subsistent farm, a goat dairy. 
You know, we did all of those things, which I feel add as more to it in some ways, because you want your writing to be learned and you yeah. want to be a reader. I read, I read a lot. I mean, I am a tremendous reader. I normally read three or four books a week lately. It's been more like one. I've got other reasons that I'm not reading quite as much, but also having a real life where you deal with people in a realistic way, not just, you know, um, looking at pictures on your phone and uh, not, and, and where you have to get out and struggle, you know, and when I was growing up in the fifties and sixties, you know, you could be in a fight for nothing because there was just the culture of itself in East Texas was something, which is one reason I was drawn to martial arts because <laughs> it happened a lot. It and when I had real long hair, I was a civil rights guy. I was a Vietnam war resistor. So, um, you know, oh, you, I, had, I you had, had some a, people challenge you. <laughs> I did. And I had a different road to hoe. And, uh, and uh, so I think all those things, though, are what made me the kind of writer I am. So that's outside of talent. Talent is some other inner thing that connects to that, that then that yeah. connects with the, the observation that you get from reading books, watching movies, comics, you know, what have you, because anything can influence you. But you need both. You do, but you don't want just everything to feel like the stink of the library, nor yeah. do you want everything to just be like it's it's just raw stupid. <laughs> oh, so I mean, because then you look at, and again, it's not fair to because you have people like James Patterson, who just seems to be like a machine, and and then you look at like um, our our mutual uh, or your friends, uh, Dean. I have not yet actually got to meet him, but uh, you look at Dean Koontz and Stephen King. I, the, the Green Mile was on the other day, and halfway through the movie, I went, "Oh yeah." This is also Stephen King. And I'm going like, how does this person crank out so much, uh, so many stories? And I go, is that just a once in a lifetime talent? Or do I need to, you know, uh, have a really angst filled life and, you know, some open struggles with that? You talk about struggle. I mean, he's pretty open about his uh, his battles. And, you know, there's that uh, there's that yeah. trope of the tortured writer. in you know, is that yeah. is that maybe true? You know, I don't have that. Yeah. I, I had, you know, I had those times, but I don't feel tortured at all. I never have. And uh, I don't have, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of writers seem to have depression, but I think that's just because the percentage of a lot of people have depression, but that's fortunately, I, it's not that I don't have moments when I feel down or depressed because of a thing that's obvious, but I fortunately don't have what, a, and I, and that's one reason I like to say I, I get depression because there are people who have a serious problem right. with that that's chemical and it's beyond their, their choice. Right. And it's not even about something that's happened to them just now. That's serious. Right. And so I don't like to put myself in that because I got the blues today, you know? So to me, I, life is such an excitement. The, the writer that always I connected with in that way was Ray Bradbury. Oh, I because love Ray Bradbury. I, I get up in the morning and I say, God damn, this is the greatest job in the world. And there may be bad things going on here and there. There may be tragedies in my life. There have been. But on the whole, I don't feel tortured at all. And I, I feel that's why I write so much, because I'm having fun. Now, do I connect with darker things? Right. Have I seen some darker things? Right. I grew up in the South during segregation, you know, and so I write about that. It influences my work. It, it, it um, is part of a scar, in fact. It's not from feeling guilt. It's from feeling, feeling humanity. And uh, I think that those are things I want to put in my work. I've I, I like to write things that are just sometimes entertaining. Then I write, like to write things that are still entertaining, but have some real 
social connection to them, you know, like the bottoms of, for example, one of my novels, yeah. the Happen Leonard are kind of in between, they're more entertaining. But to me, if I just wrote, and I, I have nothing against James Patterson, I mean, more power to him. He helps us make, make money for the rest of us to make money. Oh yeah. But he's awesome. <laughs> I, right. But I don't think he's a great writer. Right. You and know, actually, I don't I think, think he, he would say a, that either. He probably wouldn't put no, himself wouldn't. in the Yeah. No, he wouldn't. No, he, he, uh, he is a producer and he's producing a product and he's very good at it. And I, and then I've known people that criticize folks that are doing that. And I always say, he's got something I don't have. I said, what's that? I said, wide appeal. <laughs> oh yeah. Patterson's. Yeah. Well, and that's, I'm curious too. So like with someone like, let's take Stephen King, you know, and you guys are in similar genres yeah. at times, like does someone, yeah. when it comes to ideas like that, cause it's like you, you can't control the number of concepts you get. I'm sure there are activities you can do to breed inspiration, but when you look at someone, is Stephen just a, a freak of nature who so, who had so many great, and then the discipline to write every day and crank them out? Or do you think that was a, he's just a special uh, case and a, a, a talent like I that? I don't think he's any different than a lot of other writers. He's been okay. highly successful and right. he's an excellent writer. Right. He's really good. And, and, uh, but no, there are a lot of writers that have had tremendous success that are nowhere near as good as Stephen King, who's had tremendous success. Right. And there are a lot of writers that may be as good and possibly better that have had no success or no real success. Yeah. But I, I feel connected to Stephen in this way. I, I don't, I only know Stephen kind of in passing and, and his son's a little bit better because we've communicated a little. But what I think is that Stephen is like me in this respect is that we both came from poor circumstances. We both wanted something other than what was there. And we wanted some opportunities beyond that. And I think my mother and, and father both put that, especially my mother, put that ambition in me. And I had a great family. I, you know, they were just always supportive. Stephen didn't have a father at home, but he had a mother who did just like my mother did and encouraged him to do these things. So he probably, like me, was, you know, feeling, I felt, I never felt miserable or really lonely, but I felt different. In his case, I, I can't speak for, for Stephen, but I know from things he's written that, you know, he felt somewhat isolated and different. And so I found that I was interested in things that a lot of other kids weren't interested in. And I wasn't interested in a lot of other kids when I was younger, because I, I they seemed to be interested in stuff that seemed kind of childish. To me, yeah. <laughs> no, because so, I, uh... I was reading, you know, I was reading at four years old, you know, and uh, so it was different. And I think in that respect, Stephen and I both have this in common, and I can speak for him in this respect because I don't, I don't have to ask him. Is that we're full of stories. We yeah. we we put so many things in our head that that they've combined and bred with one another, and uh, they have to come out. And so I think that's why stories come to me without effort. I don't plot. I don't plan. I get up in the morning and I start writing. Next morning, I get up and continue onward until it's finished. Sometimes, and I work three hours a day. That's my my deal. I, I think Dean takes all day to build up. I, I don't want to live like that. Well, he's that. building his house. I mean, Dean's busy building his house. Yeah. That's the <laughs> Well, they is now, yeah, he's always building a house. I know, but, right? <laughs> uh, right. But, you know, the difference is, is he used to work 12, 14 hours a day and, and, just, and eat at his desk. I thought, you know, I love writing, but I don't love it that much. I want to get out and have a life. I've got, you know, I've got, I got a wife, I got a family, I got friends, I got martial arts, I've got interests, I travel all over the world. 
you know, so to me, I get up, I do my stuff three hours, three to five pages. If I get more than that, terrific. I do one draft with and revise it as I go. And then I do one revision when it's finished, a polish, I call it. I'm out of there, you know, and I'm on to the next thing. All right. So I got to ask you, so you, you have the writing process this is great. And I love, and it's, it is, it's funny because um, people always, our listeners always say, ask the writers this, right. And I'm always laughing because like, y'all know, it's going to be the same answer from all these professional writers at one point, which is uh, right. Like, you know, the, like, uh, James Patterson actually said, he's like, you know how you'll know if you're a writer. I love this in his class. He said, you'll know how there's a great way to find out if you're a writer, you'll write. Cause if you don't, you're not a writer. Uh, and he's like, he's like, I had a, writer. That's he's, it. he had an advertising job. He's like, before I repented of my Madison Avenue, you know, advertising, he's like, I got up at 4am. So I could write before because I don't want to give all my best ideas to someone else. So you yep. write, um, I'm curious. So for the bulk of your career, if you had to like generalize it, would you say you're up in the morning and is writing first things first? Um, that's what you do like coffee and writing? Yeah, well, you know, the, the earlier career, I, I did just like James did. I got up early to write before the jobs I had to do. And when we had a you know goat dairy and all that, I wrote when I could, but I wrote regularly. Yeah. Now, once I reached a certain level of learning, because I tried writing all day when I've got that freedom uh, to do it like a weekend or something like that. And I just realized I wasn't any good at that. And but at some point, and it's been, oh man, it's been since the 90s, uh, early 90s, I started writing less fewer hours. And I told myself, instead of trying to go, how many chapters can I do today? How many, I'm not a machine, but I'm kind of a machine yeah. in that I show up and I do my three to five pages a day and I don't wait for the muse because there isn't any muse to wait for. I'm it. And when I show up, the muse has shown up. Now it's time to kick the muse in the ass and wait, make them get to work. I don't believe <laughs> in that waiting for inspiration shit. You know, they're, they're, you're your own inspiration. And what you'll find on those days you feel really inspired and you put it down. And on those days you don't feel inspired and you force yourself to work, it reads the same. You either yeah. get better or you don't. And you get better. When you first start, you get better in like, like four to six months increments. Later on, it's a little slower. But my deal is I get up seven days a week. Once in a while, I'll take a, a day off or decide I'll take a week off uh, between a project. But even when I, most time when I finish the project, I get up the next morning and go right to work. Even if it's on a short story or a poem or whatever, because I like doing it. I'm, I'm not someone who likes having written, although I, I like that as well, but I like writing. And I don't think of it as like, oh, I'm, I'm just so, you know, so powerfully pained and intellectual that this is so tough. I've worked real jobs. So all you guys that feel that way, fuck you. You know, go out and, and work and work at the aluminum chair plant or work in the rose field. Uh, you know, I was a janitor was the easiest job I had before I became a writer. So I, I don't believe in, and, 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 you know, the major writers, the big ones, I don't believe that of anybody, be they genre, be they whatever. It's not as hard as a lot of other things. Trust me. And, uh, you know, and I came from a man who couldn't read or write, you know, so I wanted to be sure that I had an easier life than he did, which took me a while to arrive at. But I sold my first piece when I was 21 and went full time when I was 29 and have been ever since. Wow. And that's because I wanted it. So this whole idea about how much I suffer, I'm sure they're going to be, you're going to talk to some people that talk about how hard they suffer, but I ain't one of them. Oh, I love man. it. 
That's wonderful. Oh, I love that. So refreshing. Uh, you know, it's interesting is I love hearing too that you write because I have always believed that as I've had, you know, I in college, I would, you know, you always find that you're, you know, there's peak moments of productivity. And I always thought, whenever I said I have the whole day to do anything, it never gets done. It was always like when I said, no. you know what, and I had a mentor say, look, you know what, commit to 30 minutes a day, just say, look, because you know, yeah, if it's an hour, yeah. you'll be like, no, I can't have an hour. And he's like, everyone has 30 minutes, turn off the damn TV, you have 30 minutes. And he's like, even yeah. if you just did 30 minutes a day, you will have something like in six months. And also, you can like 30 minutes isn't that tough. And so I, I love hearing that because I've tried that. And I just like, you know, so I don't, maybe some people can, but my quality starts to go down. You know, after a certain yeah. amount of time, you're like, this yeah. is diminishing returns. Well, it, it, right. As I remember, if I remember what Dean said once, he said that he has to build. But for me, I start at my best and go downhill. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get diminishing returns because it, for me, when I feel the imagery, is starting to fade and I've got my three to five pages. If I keep going, it's only because that inner imagery is not fading yeah. and that voice is real and the sound of the prose and the way the prose is written is somehow almost enlightening, you know, and when it gets to where it's not, uh, if I've worked, I do it. Now, if I have a day and I hadn't worked yet, even if it's tough and it's going bad, I just keep going. I keep hammering. And then I revise it as I go. And I'm often find that it, it's still as good as it's going to be, generally speaking. That means uh -huh. that I may have to change a little bit here and there. But sometimes when I think I'm doing my best, I look at it and it's no better. It's not even as good sometimes. So you have to constantly revise daily because just because you feel the glory doesn't mean that that's, right. that's glory on the page. And just because you feel like shit doesn't mean it's shit on the page. So do you, it's funny because I'd say most of the writers I talk to more often than not, they come back to a page. Sometimes it's like, Hey, that was really good. But more often than not, that thing that was Shakespearean poetry to you yesterday, you look at the thing, you're like, yeah. what the hell was that? That, what are they, you know, I can't believe I wrote that, you know? Um, yeah. And I, don't, uh, I, I tend to, I tend to revise as I go. And then yeah. the next morning I'll read over what I did the day before and sure. And then in that final polish, that's when I, I realized that that moment of genius that I had is not really that good. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll, I'll get rid of that, you know, and, and, you know, the thing is, is this, there's no such thing as perfection. You're not going to get everything right. I don't give a damn if somebody tells you that, you know, there's no such thing as perfection. There's as good as you can do at your moment in time, yeah. because your moments in time change because you learn new things, you get better. What I wrote back in the seventies is all shit. And then in the eighties, <laughs> I got to where I was writing some pretty good stuff, you know, and I got better as I went. I, uh, there are certain stories too, that I wrote when I was young, I couldn't write now. And there are certain stories I can write now that I couldn't have written. Then. Do you mean a viability or do you mean by ability or just the fact that your lens has changed uh, from the world from experience? I think the lens has changed and inclination to some extent. And some of the stories I wrote early in my career are, are some of my best, but I've written some great ones since, I think, and some better novels, I think. But the difference is, is that there were youthful inclinations that I don't have now. Things yeah. that maybe move me a lot then don't move right. me as much now. Right. It's so you not, couldn't not at all. Okay. Yeah. It, so you, yeah, I get that. Person. Yeah, because you can't speak. It's you can't write authentically some of the things that you were feeling back then that you are. That's what yeah. I'm saying. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's not a matter of it being better because you were young or worse because you were young or worse or better because you're older or middle period, whatever you want to look at it, is that it's just that you have different inclinations and different enthusiasm and youth gives you a different eye. And um, I, I do think there are some things that I did that I look at and I go, damn, I wish I could do that now. But then I look at things I'm doing now and I said, I couldn't have done that then. Absolutely. So for those listening who say, you know, because I know there's there tends to be this obsession with achieving greatness early in one's life. Uh, and you do find, you know, I, some of I think it was Gladwell and some of his books that, you know, there's it tends to be a lot of people did their sort of, you know, magnum opus in their 30s or whatever. But would you say when it comes to writing specifically that, you know, people should not be concerned say, you know that your best there's it's not true that your best days are behind you necessarily that you can there's no time like the present to write and that some people their amazing story comes in their 20s and others it comes in their 60s there's there's no reason to think that you're gonna lose it's not like athletes where you're gonna lose you know that's gonna degrade yeah. do you find your writing actually improves gets characters you get older I think so. I, I do think that you, as you get older, your energy wanes. You know, yeah. I, mine hasn't yet. My, mine's still pretty, I can tell. pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, I know other writers and friends of mine who are 80 and above, and they say that they have ideas and they can still put it, the prose down clearly, but they don't have the will that mm. they once had. And I think that's true of everything. You know, yeah. you reach a point. It's one reason I write so much, because when I get to that point, I want to say, okay. You know, and I've been one of those people that if, if I died tomorrow, I had just the life I wanted. You know, I, awesome. I didn't miss it. I did not miss my window. And part of that's luck and a lot of it's design. And uh, I, I just think that coming from my background, I'm a lot happier than people who are always looking for fame and, and money. I have some fame, you know, I'm not the most famous person in the world, but you know, I'll be surprised. I'll be somewhere and somebody will recognize me, you know, and I'll go, what the hell, you know, it, but it, and when I'm in Italy, you know, people will recognize me on the street because I'm very popular there, but I, I only like that up to a point because one of the reasons I like being a writer is there's a certain, you know, I guess you're not, you're not as well known as say an actor. There's not somebody always right. looking at you going, Oh, that's so-and-so, you know, it'll happen sometimes, but it's not all the time. And the other thing is that how much money do you need? You know, uh, I, I would like to have more to give to charities to do things like that, but I'm, I'm set. I'm not the richest in the world, but I have purposely chosen to do things I wanted to do. Many of which I knew wouldn't going to, wasn't going to sell much or wasn't going to be seen by many people. I did experimental stuff. I did small press stuff. I did major novel stuff, you know, the whole thing, screenplays. I always told myself I will not get caught in that trap. And uh, I didn't. Now, you know, who knows? Maybe tomorrow I will. <laughs> no, man, I love <laughs> but, that. That's awesome. Yeah. Living your authentic it's life, man. That's not why I do it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I, I want enough fame to sell. That's right. And I want enough money to know that I'm secure because I come from poverty. Yeah. Dean also said something about once poor, always poor. There's a certain truth to that. And it, it I think like my kids both write. And they both sell. My son's had a couple of movies made and he's, he's written a lot of comics and he's stories. And my, my daughter's written a lot of short stories and, and they have other careers too, but for them, they like it and they maybe even love it, but they don't love it. Like I love it. Yeah. 
and they got to start with it already you know they got to start with someone who had already done it and like i said i started i had no idea I, i didn't know how it was done i didn't go to college i had a few years few hours of college. I went for a year at Tyler Junior College, some at University of Texas before I dropped out. Uh, then I went to Stephen F. Austin, took a few hours. I've taught writing, which is strange. But on the other hand, I think that people like me and maybe Dean and Stephen, uh, we're all driven. Oh, man, you are. Well, you have to be to do that. Um, all right. So I have to ask, um, so when you have the beginnings of an idea, what is your actual process? So do you start with a, a treatment? Do you just jot down some notes? What's sort of the, from ideation to publication, what's sort of the, the Lansdale process? I don't plot, man. I, I, don't, I don't plot things, you know, and, unless I'm forced to by some project I get into where they say, well, we got to have this. But generally when I do it, I'm no longer interested in doing it because I feel like I've already told the story. I will occasionally jot notes. Ah, a novel on Mars, uh, you know, the Martian, the elevator that goes from Mars to, I mean, goes from Earth to Mars. And, you know, they're really working on something like that. So something like that may stir an idea, but that's an idea. That's not a story. And the story has to come to me from some inner inexplicable place that I start messing with it. And I'll know pretty soon if I don't find the voice, I'm not going to write it. If I find the voice and it starts to speak to me, and the imagery starts to appear. And then the character comes on stage. And when they start to feel like they're real, that they have a life they've lived, not a moment where I'm just filling them in for the, you know, Bob, the burly, you know, uh, what can he be? The, the burly captain of the ship or whatever you call it. That kind of stuff doesn't interest me at all. It's got to be somebody that I feel, at least in my subconscious, is full blown. But yet I don't know that yet. And then when the dialogue starts to sound real, that when people speak, it sounds, you know, it may not be real speech, but it gives the illusion of real speech to such an extent that I'm satisfied, you know? So are you just sitting down to a, a, are you just sitting down? So you have the story in your head and are you just writing chapters? You're not, um, you know, because James in his master class, he says, well, he's like, I write out, you know, here's what I want to have happen in these scenes, et cetera. And then he's like, then I sit down and fill in because the blank page can be pretty intimidating. Are you, do you just, do you have anything like that? Or you just sit down and it just starts no. coming out? If I did, if I wrote uh, like that, I, I would not like it because it would be just dead prose for me. I'm not mm. speaking for other people. Right. I'm saying for me, it'd just be dead prose. It'd be like fill in the blanks. It'd be like having one of those uh, things you used to buy and it's got numbers and you paint by the numbers. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing that, you know, that, and uh, so for me, it has to be a, that moment of glory is every morning when I get up and the sub, I plot in the subconscious, I'm sure, you know, I'm, but I'm not writing that down. I make those notes, like I told you sometimes, but I don't plot and I don't know how to tell you, but every morning when I get up, it's filled back up. I never had writer's block in my life. Have I ever had a day when I was slower or less, you know, certain? Yeah. And most of the time by the end, as, as my period of three hours gets to the end, I start, to, you know, oh, there it is. I knock out three pages, 15 minutes, I'm done. But it may take me the rest of the time, three, all three hours to do three pages, you know, but generally it's within three hours. And after that, I'm not worth shit, you know, it's, <laughs> I start to go downhill. I, I have occasionally had when I had like a looming deadline. 
I've occasionally worked in the afternoon or at night, maybe go and do another 30 minutes. And sometimes I've had a short story that's bugging me, but my main project is taking up all my time. So I go in, I work 15 minutes and 15 minutes before bed, and I'll do that uh, for a few days. And then pretty soon I find that it's fitting within that three hours with the major project. Hmm. I don't that's know cool. why. I can't explain that, but it seems like it knows it. You know, that stuff you're doing later, it's not going to be as good. This is when you work. So now, I, I, yeah. I write with my main project and then then try to, I, I think uh, Keen calls them his toy trucks. <laughs> and that's that's kind of what it is for me too, you know. Oh, that's great. Now, so you also mentioned you love to, uh, you read, you know, a couple books a week even too. So you're writing for three hours a day. Are you reading the rest of the day or what's, uh, are you just a fast reader? Uh, what I'm a very fast reader. Uh, I, that's my superpower is I read fast and my retention is good, you know, and I, I, I find that as I've gotten older, it's a little less good. And uh, I read a little slower, but most of that isn't because I read slower, but because there are other things in my life that I'm dealing with too, you know, right. and uh, not, not for me, even, but other things that I'm dealing with. So it slows me down a little, but what I do is I read after I get through writing, I generally read and I may read two hours and then I'll probably watch a movie or something. Then I go exercise and then, then, uh, you know, my wife and I hang out, we do our thing the rest of the day, we have, you know, and, and then it's before bedtime, I'll, I'll read like another hour or so. But it's not uncommon for me to read an average size book in three to four hours, you know, wow. and what's what's changed is I used to be able to read one, put it down, pick another one up and go right. And I, I'm having a harder time doing that as I've gotten older. And I, I don't spend time with things that don't entertain me. Um, I don't uh, I read nonfiction and fiction. I, I love short stories more than anything. Hmm. And I, I find that as I grow older and this is probably age that is involved, I like the older stuff better than the newer stuff but I read the newer stuff as well, because, you know, I don't want to be one of those guys that back in the old days, because I don't really believe that that's true. But I do know one thing I learned from looking at certain writers, some writers peak early, like you said, some get better in the middle, very few get better towards the end, but there are hmm. some that stay pretty steady. And I, I like to think I'm one of those writers, you know, but it's because I want to be, I want to be. All right. So what, um, I mean, this is a tough question, I'm sure, because you read so many books, but like, are there any just in no particular order, just like Joe's must reads, you know, they're just like, I, oh my gosh. You like, mean that I've read during my, my life? Is that what yeah. You're, you're just about? like, yeah. And I would say maybe even, uh, narrow it down for anyone who's even contemplating, like, you know, getting into fiction writing or story or whatever, just like classics of fiction that you love and then uh, just great stories. Okay, well, we're talking about classics and, and you know, a lot of people, I see these lists that people make. This is a classic of fiction. What's four years old? It may well be in time, yeah. but people don't read very broadly anymore. Yeah. And it's always about what's hip now and what's the trend now. Right. You got to look back at Mark Twain. He was considered a hack or at least considered just an entertainer. And there was these other writers that were the real writers that nobody remembers. Oh, yeah. And Twain was more than that. Twain was a genius. Oh, so yeah. I would say Twain. I would say Huckleberry Finn, which is, uh, you know, one of those things when I was a kid in the South, I read, it made me recognize racism for what yeah. it was. And uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, I, oh, I yeah. think the same for me. Those two, that they changed my life. And I've heard people go, well, yeah, but, you know, they, they use certain language what they had to that's what it's about yeah. is is like sometimes you have to show ugly to know ugly 
Hmm. And sometimes you have to make your points satirically. And sometimes you make those points for somebody that doesn't necessarily know you're making them, but subconsciously they do. So those two writers jumped to mind. Um, I think Flannery O'Connor, you know, and she's gotten a label of racism a little bit here and there, but I don't care. It's not because it's bigger than that, because she doesn't write racist stories. She writes stories about the South as they are, which includes racists. Right. And, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, the great Gatsby ought to be for everybody. Uh, Kipling's stories ought to be for everybody. You can learn a lot about storytelling from uh, Kipling, you know, Rudyard Kipling. Uh, I think that when you, if you're branching out more, you read Ray Bradbury, you read Charles Beaumont, if you can find his stories anymore, you read Richard Matheson, you read Raymond Chandler, you read uh, Dashiell Hammett, James Cain, you read Hemingway. Nobody wrote better, cleaner prose than Hemingway when he was on. And it's best exemplified in his short stories. Hmm. You know, I think he wrote some good novels, but he never wrote the American, great American novel. Fitzgerald did. But Hemingway wrote some great American short stories Hmm. and uh, some of the greatest. The Killers is one of the finest stories ever written. Hills like white elephants. Hmm. And uh, so I I like all that stuff. You know, I, I, I look at Fred Brown, which some people consider more of a pulp writer. I don't agree. I think that you've got mastery, you know, right there at your fingertips to study because a lot of times if you can learn things too about mystery he wrote science fiction and mystery but if you can learn how to put a mystery together you can learn how to put any other kind of novel together Hmm. was the greatest thing i ever learned was to understand mysteries though i've written mostly when i've written novels that sometimes are called mysteries they're really crime or suspense but learning how to structure i no longer think about structure and i violate structure you learn the rules to break them and so people like that teach you. Raymond Chandler, his language, my God, he's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Elmore Leonard, you know, you, there, there's somebody else that you should certainly read, you know. Uh, George Higgins, especially the friends of Eddie Cool, you know, those, those are, man, I could go on all day. You shouldn't oh, ask this question. No, I love it, man. Well, yeah. actually, I, I have to ask one of my all-time favorites, since you mentioned stories, is, uh, is Poe, uh, as I just... Yeah, Poe was the first book I ever owned. My mother gave me Poe. I just think I would remember because at Halloween, we'd read those one, the Raven to me is still just like, I mean, that guy, yeah. I feel like he's on another plane because that poem is like, he is, it's just, <laughs> unbel- but then you get into like the, the cask of the Amontillado, uh, the mask oh, of the red death. And yeah. you're going like this guy, just like, Oh, the telltale heart. Um, it yeah. just, well, the mask guy- of the red death is so amazing because it's very short, but boy, is it powerful. Once you read it, you never forget it. And oh. that's true of a lot of pose. Like I always, I, you know, I never really liked Lovecraft much, but I've, but I've been influenced by him because anybody in this modern age has been influenced by the concept of the Cthulhu mythos that writes genre fiction anyway, and even don't write genre fiction. And I think Stephen King was really influenced and really liked Lovecraft. I, I always found him kind of, you know, I, I thought, well, where's the women? You know, maybe that was my orientation. Where's the women? But it was also, you know, what do these guys do for a living? You know, what, what the hell? These guys yeah. are just hanging out and they got these big houses with lots of books and they're just pulling their Johnson all day. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> and, and so, I, I, but I loved a lot of the writers who were influenced by him. And another one I'll name is Robert Block. You want to learn how to construct short stories in particular, Block's your man. And he wrote Psycho 
And Psycho is one of the, it's funny, it, just like Hitchcock interpreted it with uh, his screenwriter. And that screenwriter took a lot of credit for the stuff he lifted directly from. I never Bob realized Watt. that was based off a short story. Uh, Psycho. It's, not, it's, a no, it's a novel. Oh, it's a novel. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. but it's a short novel. Yeah, it's a short novel. All of his novels were short. You know, Interesting. He, he wrote very brief things, but his best stuff really were his short stories. And uh, you can get what screams are made of or the best of Robert Block. And that's what you need. And if you want to study more about how to how to use your imagination and in constructed stories, there's Henry Cutner, there's Cyril Kornbluth. These writers like that teach you how it's done. And they do imagination beautifully. Roald Dahl. John Collier, all of those writers are, are brilliant. And that's why their stuff gets constantly reprinted and filmed, constantly remade into films or stolen and, and made into similar films or similar um, stories. You're right. This was a dangerous topic to open up. I'll, I'll, I'll close this yeah, out. I, just, I could go on. Lightning reaction, just because it was one of my favorite books I couldn't put down. Not a classic because it hasn't been around long enough, but uh, James Clavel, I just, Shogun, was one of those books that I just couldn't. Oh, I love Shogun. Yeah. I could not put yeah. it down. I was, I was like, this is what the last samurai wishes it could be. It was so good. I just, I've oh, ab absolutely. And, and you know, yeah, me too, man. I, that book, I lived in that world. And it's like this and I thick. The <laughs> yeah. And the miniseries was good at that time, especially, you know, maybe now it, it's yeah. like Lonesome Dove. I mean, there's a great, great. Oh, I heard novel. that book's amazing. I that's one of, yeah. I heard it's one of the great, I believe it's one of the great American novels without question. And the show, uh, the series, magnificent, you know, really, really good stuff. And then, you know, you got people like Michael Chabon's Cavalier and Clay, which is amazing. And, and really, that's the book of his that appeals to me. Some of the others don't, not because they're badly done or just for whatever reason they didn't. But when I read that, because I guess I grew up loving comics, I was really caught in that because that's what it deals with. But it has a golem in it. It has all, all kinds of odd things that are unexpected. Uh, it's a little bit rambly. It's a little bit disconnected and it's brilliant. Oh, man. And uh, Raymond Carver, if you want to learn how to be precise, read Raymond Carver. I'm going to put all these in the show notes, folks. Don't worry. I'll reference all these so I can put it. <laughs> it's going to be a novel. The, the show notes will be a novel. All right. As uh, yeah, You don't want to get me started, man. Oh, I, man. I'm a reader and a half. I love and it. That, and that's not even counting. We didn't get into the nonfiction, like oh, in yeah. Cold Blood, which I think is more as much fiction as nonfiction, but it's it's a great piece of work. And, uh, you know, and I love things that are about history. I read a lot of historical um, nonfiction and and some regular historicals as well. Oh, man, we'll have to bonus episode. We'll have to we'll have to compare notes on that. I uh, I have some. OK, and we're not going to talk about Glendon Swarthout, who wrote great things like The Shootist and The Homesman. Don't get me going, man. You done started it. You got you got an animal. Okay, well let's let's house. let's transition to another vital subject because and then I want you to finish by plugging what you're up to right now. Um, you uh, have you, you have no shortage of opinions, which is awesome. So I'm gonna. It was a tradition on the show. We always ask our our married guests, um, what's their uh, wisdom both for uh, how to find the partner and then how to uh, how to make marriage work. Well, you know. Um, my wife and I have been married right at 49 years. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah. And uh, we got married when we were 21. So we may be closer to 50 years. I'd have to start looking 49. This, I think it's this August is 49. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there is a key. We just click 
And we don't do any of those things where they say, well, we got to have a date night. We got to have this plan. We got to do this. <laughs> we got to, you know, uh, I, I get yelled at when I screw up and, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and I learn. <laughs> Which is rare. Attrition. Which is rare. You rarely yeah, screw up. Bro. Yeah. But we get along, you know, we always have, even when we argue, we'll, we'll be okay. And, and I think also we're not afraid to argue. We know how to, to disagree and we're not trying to, you know, expect every day to wake up and be as perfect where everybody is just so happy. You know, I don't believe I, I, I don't believe being happy is about constant utopia. You know, I'm happy, but I'm not utopian. You know, you have bad days. She has a bad day. I have a bad day. And this is another, we both, both have a bad day, but I think we both had the same goals. We both wanted, you know, my wife was like the first female dispatcher in Nacogdoches, Texas. They didn't have them before her for fire department. It just wasn't done because they stayed overnight. Oh, man. And, and she worked as a police officer for the campus. And, you know, she was, uh, uh, you know, and really created the Horror Riders Association. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick McCammon came up with the idea. She created. Dean Kuntz wrapped it up on the end. But, you know, she's done a lot of those sort of things. And so I appreciate her abilities and her, her power. And then she managed my career from 1988 own until just recently because i've got accountants and a bunch of other people now that you know it's i need them it's just too much and we can't do all that and she handled my daughter's our daughter's uh early career but i think i think too some of it is luck we got the right people and you know we got together and we just we clicked and you know we were 21 and working in the rose fields right yeah, we've been able to move with each other and things that have happened because even though you change, Karen and I, in some ways, have always been the same. You know, there's there's a certain thing about, uh, you know, we both appreciate integrity and there's certain things like that that matter. And our kids, you know, we got great kids and I stayed home to be a, a house dad. I, I wrote, you know, with them home when they were taking naps. So that time I, I worked differently, but I still work 20 minute stretches, you know, things like that. So I think dedication and not worrying about it so much. I think some of this, you know, how do I have, how do I uh, collaborate with them? How do I, you know, find this way to compromise? You should compromise naturally. And when you, and you're not always going to be able to, there's some things I ain't going to change about me. And there's some things I, that she's not going to change. Accept it. That's right. Amen. Um, all right, we'll do this. Oh man, I have so much to, I'm so, I'm like, keep it down. Don't bring up any more books. Um, what's up? We got to, I got to land the plane here. The fuel's, the fuel's getting low. I got to land the plane. Uh, right. We'll just, we'll just have I to have you. you, we'll have to have you back on and uh, give, give Dean some crap uh, if we can get him, uh, get him on, take a break yeah. from house building. Um, what are you working on right now? What are you stoked about? Well, I'm working on a screenplay, but I can't talk about it right now. Okay. Uh, but I just did a previous screenplay, a short for George R. R. Martin based on a Howard Waldrop short story called Night of the Cooters. It was directed by Vincent D'Onofrio and he starred in it. And it's got um, animation as part of it. And it looks really cool. It's Trioscope. And uh, that's coming out soon. I have no idea how George okay. plans to put it out. I don't know if it's going to be film festivals, if she's, he's going to try to place it somewhere. I don't know but it was fun to do. And now I'm doing a screenplay. And then when that's finished, I've, I've been asked to do a memoir, which I plan to do. And then I've got two novels with Little Brown Mulholland and 
I got plenty of stuff, man. I could be here all day. We got a new book coming out, right? Or earlier before we met, we started right now born for trouble. And those are, it's based on my characters, happen Leonard. Yeah. Uh, And if you can, you can find that whole series. There's 12 books in the series, half of them are, well, maybe half about eight of them, I think are with the vintage black lizard and the rest are with uh, Mulholland out of little Brown. And you can get those. Plus, there are short story collections from Tachyana, which Born for Trouble is the most recent. And there's a television show on Netflix, if you get interested, three seasons. And what's that show called? That's called? Happen Leonard. Oh, they actually, sorry, I didn't realize they'd actually brought it fully to Netflix. That's awesome. Yeah, missed, it was on Sundance vetting. originally. Yeah, well, it was on Sundance originally, and they moved it um, to Netflix when it ran its course. It was their number one show, but they canceled it anyway, you know, and yeah. uh, uh, and then, you know, you can also go on Prime and catch Cold in July based on my work or Bubba Hotep's out there somewhere. And uh, there are other things. Love, Death and Robots has done stuff of mine and, uh, you know, all kinds. Of, there's all kinds of stuff. A lot of animated Batman, the animated series of the 90s. Did a lot of my, some of my stuff for things. Superman, the animated series the animated movie son of batman i mean there's a lot of my stuff out there all the time anyway was this the same batman that was uh the same animation as batman mask of the phantasm uh yes that was that was such a brilliant uh brilliant film i mean it was like it was such a interesting yeah i remember that as a kid that batman series was fantastic um it was i I wrote four in that series oh it was awesome the joker was well i mean it was just uh yeah, it was it was really yeah. good. Yeah, I I did a, a Mad Hatter one called Perchance to Dream and uh, the Ventriloquist in Read My Lips and Jonah Hex in Showdown and then later I did there was a thing called Batman and Robin Adventures which was for a younger a little bit younger and I did a thing called Critters. I did a, a Superman that I worked on with some others and I can't remember what it was called but it was their Bizarro episode. Oh yeah. And then I did a I did a full length Batman. Uh, animated feature called uh, son of batman um you know when i wrote i actually wrote a batman novel and a batman uh, kid book and you know you're a batman scholar last i have to ask last question you're a batman scholar what do we think of the new batman Hmm. you know there were things i liked about it a lot what i didn't like was batman i didn't i didn't like um i like batman okay but i didn't like bruce wayne at all which the whole and, and, you know, I think that actor is good, but I think the way they chose to do it was that hair in my eyes, I'm sad. And then later on, I'm still sad. And later on, I'm sadder. And I just got, I just felt like it was a very one-dimensional, two-dimensional at best, almost one-dimensional performance as Bruce Wayne. But he was an interesting Batman. And I like that they challenged some of the stuff before. And I liked that the villains were fantastic. Catwoman was great. And the Penguin wonderful and the riddler fantastic but and the way it looked was great i love the directing but i i came away with mixed feelings and a sort of like felt like i i wasn't i, I kind of got cheated a little bit yeah that's because that's actually yeah, that's one of i mean take. that's one of bruce wayne's interesting i think that makes him interesting as a character right is he has a he's this dual persona where he's this public playboy carefree nonchalant right. and then privately tortured and you know aggressive right. and, and dark and so yeah that that tension this was sort of i'm i'm just sad you know all the time but yeah right. visually i'm just sad yeah, yeah. Be- beautifully oh, shot though beautiful 
that one scene yeah, in the, when he's well, in the club and the and the fire. Do you remember this? The firearms oh, are going off, and that's the only thing no, that lights just, it up. It's the only lighting you have. Yeah, it was it's, beautiful. It's done by that lighting. It was brilliant. And a lot of the fight scenes were just brilliant. So I, I came out of it liking it, not liking it. And uh, I, I think that I oh, and Commissioner Gordon was fantastic. I, I'm sad I can't remember that actor's name, but he was fantastic. And Alfred was a cipher. You could have just left him somewhere else. You know, he should have been on. Alfred's not here. He's on vacation because he's boring. It's hard to have. It's you know? hard to replace Michael Caine because Michael Caine is an amazing Alfred. He's great. He's Michael Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> you know, um, even Jeremy Irons was better in uh, the in the DC universe because um, he's got such a great voice. Um, Joe, I could talk yeah. to you for, well, for yeah. hours. It's uh, this is so fun. I thank you so much for doing this. We're just gonna have to be back on just sure. to talk solely books, because uh, it's uh, all right. Yeah, I got a I got a shelf of ones I gotta I gotta ask you about, but I'm not gonna do it now lest we run over. But um, <laughs> Guess not. how can fans connect with you? Well, I'm on. I have. I'm not on. I, there's a Facebook page that has me there, but that's not me. I have <laughs> to have that to have the fan page. I don't take friend requests. All I right. don't do that because I don't go on other people's pages. But if you want to connect with what I'm doing, you go to my fan page. I have a, a, a Twitter account, which you can find me there. And I have www.joarlanzell.com, which is my website. And you can pretty much find me all over the place. It's not hard. All right. Well, we will, especially in Italy. Uh, so anyways, yeah. <laughs> we've been camping with Joe Lansdale, not Joe Lonsdale, but Joe Lansdale. <laughs> so, uh, and Joe, right. thank, not thanks. this other guy. That's right, this other guy. But thanks so much, Joe. Appreciate your wisdom, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, folks. If you want to help us out, and we're confident you do, go ahead and hit that subscribe button here on our YouTube channel. And if you ever feel like just listening to these, you can check us out on all major podcast streaming platforms by just searching for I Went Camping With. And there, you should also subscribe. Thanks again, folks.